no way to adequately or accurately verbalize how good God really is. And I think sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to talk about how good God is rather than just responding to him. But here tonight, God has been very, very kind to us thus far. And I agree with Brother Wright. I think there's so much more that God wants to do. And um, let's not just say that. Let's not just say there's so much more that God wants to do. There's so much more that we're going to let him do. A lot of things in the Word of God that we have access to in Him are conditional. And they're based on the conditions of our pursuit. He said, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you knock, I will open it. He never said how many times we'd have to knock. He never said how many years it would take of knocking. He never said we wouldn't wear a worn place in the face of that door knocking on it so many times. But he did make us a promise. He said, if you'll knock, and because he didn't put a time limit on it, the denotion is, if you won't quit, if you won't give up, if you'll just keep coming back and knocking day after day after day, if you'll keep asking, There are times that my two children will ask until I literally feel like my head is just going to fall right off my neck and roll out the back door because I can't stand to hear it anymore. And there are times that I give in to them. Well, all the time I give in to them, but there are times that I give in to them sooner than I intended to because I realize this is going to just keep going. And when a child wants something from a parent that they know loves them, you, you can't get on to them enough and tell them, stop, we are in church, be quiet. They, they don't care. They know you love them and they know they've got access to your heart and they know that if I just keep asking. My kids know, Eliana, one night a few months ago, maybe a year or two ago, a year ago, came in my office about one o'clock in the morning and how she had escaped her mother, I don't know. I think maybe she was exiled. And um, she came into my office and I said, child, what in this wide world are you doing in here at 1.15 in the morning? And she said, I just need a little time with my daddy. And in my mind and heart, I said, ask what you will to the whole of my kingdom and it'll be yours. And she, her gifts apparently were operating and she said, daddy, can we have a little snack? Can we just have a daddy-daughter snack? Yes, child. Did she need it? No. Was she hungry? I don't know. Should she have gotten that particular cereal she wanted? For all of you healthy people, eating whole food, whatever that is. Vegans and gluten-free and... 
No, she probably didn't eat all that sugar at 1.15 in the morning, but I figured we were up. We might as well enjoy being there. We're not eating some kind of rice bran junk at 1.15 in the morning. We're going to eat good food. My kids have learned if I'll just keep asking, if I just keep asking, there's going to come a point. Now, Brother Shelton, do you give your children things they don't need? Yes. I don't give them things that'll hurt them. I don't do things that are going to bring harm to their lives. But I think sometimes we've, we have, and I can tell you right now, my children know. Now, moms are different, seems like. A mom can resist a child's plea. But I mean, my two girls, I don't know if it's just, Brother Bishop, that tenderness that we have toward our daughters we were talking about earlier. But if those two coming down that aisle right over there in that red and tan hat, if, if, they, if they look at me just right, And if they lay their head on my shoulder just right or climb up in my lap, they can just about count on whatever it is they want, they're going to get it. Jesus made a statement at one point. He said, except you become as a little child. And I wondered a lot over the years what all that involved, what all that affected, what all that would have an effect on. And I have come to the conclusion that it is probably as much about access to him as it is anything else. My children have been told a hundred times, Brother Spriggs, if I am on my phone sitting at my desk in my office, it's probably important. Don't come in there and start all kind of ruckus. Don't come in there and daddy, 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 daddy. But they do it anyway. Well, they're disobedient. No, they know I'm their daddy. And they know that they have access to me no matter what it is I'm doing. My kids know that if they need me, all they've got to do is call me and I'm there for them. Period. Don't matter. Doesn't matter to me what it's going to cost me. If my children need me, that's where I'm going to be. I have, I've come to the conclusion that Jesus wants to spend time with us more than we want to spend time with him. And after however many years of ministry and having the Holy Ghost since I was nine years old, I've come to the conclusion that the most important thing about all of this is being with him. And when you're with somebody, I love Jennifer more than, oh, I love her. I got all tore up the other day on a plane thinking about what life would be like without my wife. I really did. I had to cover my face a little bit so everybody didn't see me get all teary-eyed and snot dripping in a carrying on. And um, I was really vexed because I really, I really thought about it to the point that I felt, Brother Trombley, what it would feel like or what I thought it would feel like to lose my wife. I don't want, I don't want that. There was a stretch in my life that went on about 14 months. I didn't feel God one time. 
Not one time. And finally, at the end of that 14 months, I kept doing what I was supposed to do to the best of my ability. My attitude wasn't always perfect. I'll I'll confess that to you. Finally, one night, I think I've told you this before, but one night late, maybe 1230, quarter to one, a desperation got a hold of me that I I couldn't, I can't even explain it now. I couldn't have explained it to you then, and I can't now either. I was so desperate for him. It wasn't, Lord, I need another word from you. It wasn't, Lord, I need something to preach. It wasn't, Lord, do some, no. All, all I can tell you is I was so desperate just to be in his presence one more time. And the short version of that whole story is that somewhere around 1.30 in the morning, I found myself in the floor. And for the first time in 14 months, I began to feel that flow of the Holy Ghost again. And from that day to this, that was a long 14 months. Somewhere around daylight the next morning, I finally gathered myself up out of the floor and it lifted to a degree. But from then till now, there has been a abiding realization that I cannot do this without him. and, And furthermore, I don't want to do this without him. I don't want to come to church wondering whether or not I'm going to be in the presence of God. I don't want to come to church wondering whether or not I'm going to feel the Holy Ghost in here. I don't want to come to church with a wonder and a question in my mind of, is God going to do something in this building? Just like my children know that when they have a request of me, I'm going to do my best to fulfill it. My wife knows the same thing. My wife knows that if she needs or wants something, and I know she needs or wants it, somehow or another, one way or another, I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to see to it she has what she wants. And I don't know why we think that Jesus loves us any less than that. I don't know why we think. I listened to Brother Morgan this morning and he was plowing in my field too. Why we would come in here with any other attitude than he is my father. When the prodigal finally came to himself in the pig pen... We have preached for years, erroneously, that he said, I've got to go back to my father's house. That's not what he said. When he came to himself, he said, I have got to go back to my father. He didn't say anything about his father's house. Now, he had already acknowledged that even even the servants at my dad's house have more than I have in his pig pen. But he knew that if I'm going to have access to what's in my father's house, I've got to go back to my dad first. I've got to get the relationship between he and I fixed. We got to get on the same page again. And it changes everything. Somewhere along the way in our doing whatever it is we do, we have concluded, and I say that based on our behavior. Uh, Maya Angelou said, when someone shows you who they are, and in her word, believe them. It's not about what they tell you. It's what they show you. And so I'm basing this statement not on our singing, not on our preaching, but on our behavior. We are willing to go through the motions week after week after year after year without a visitation of the Holy Ghost. And, and we, we, we ever now and then have these comments like, my God, we had a divine interruption. And my question of late is why in the world 
has God got to interrupt anything we're doing? Why has he got to interrupt one of our church services? When did we become so narcissistic that we say, let's invite God into this service? Are you kidding me? We ought to be on our face thanking him that one more day we're still breathing and living and walking upright in this earth. But we have become so casual with church. Brother Morgan said it this morning. I'm not going to rehash it, but we have become so casual. And I've said this to you before. We are, we are good enough at having church. We don't need God. We can sing well enough that we don't need him to anoint us. We can preach well enough that we don't need him to anoint us. Matter of fact, we don't really even need a word from God. We can just listen to enough preaching online to get some junk put together that we can preach that to ourselves and impress ourselves. And if I'm impressed with how well I did, really doesn't matter to me whether you got anything or not. But I'm going to tell you something that I'm I'm not kidding. I'm not playing church. I've got too much to do in my little old short span of living on this planet to come in here and play church one time. I'm not interested in playing church. I'm not interested in being here if we're not going to allow him to control it from the very first note played on the piano. If God's going to have to interrupt what we're doing, we're doing it wrong. But we've become so casual in this deal. Lucifer became casual with him. He didn't think it robbery to consider himself equal with God. He had such access to the presence of God. The more he was allowed to come in and out of the presence of God, the more elevated he got in his own thinking about himself. And he increased his value. The Lord has a way of obviously shutting all that down. But I am, I am concerned for my own soul. Enough that I don't, I don't want to take one, one, one visitation of the Holy Ghost for granted. I, I'm, listen, I, I am, I've been challenged by the Lord lately, late in the night, early in the morning. He's been talking to me about different things and I've preached some of it around the country in different places, but most of it, it's been, it's been Scott getting his brains knocked around a little bit and jarred a little bit and realizing this is, this is not some game we're playing. This is not, just because we don't preach about hell anymore don't mean that it's not there. Just because nobody wants to upset the saints and tell them if you don't do this and if you do this, you're going to go to hell doesn't mean that somebody's not still going to go to hell. Just because we don't preach about there will be two in the field, one taken, one left, don't mean that the rapture's not coming. And we have gone so far from some of the things that stirred us up. And I've said it to you before. If you're a guest at Antioch, we love you and we're glad you're here, but not for the reasons you think we're glad you're here. We're not glad you're here because our numbers are boosted. We're not glad you're here because there's bodies in the seats. We're glad you're here because we know the one true living God is able to do for you and in you and to you what you need done. But we've substituted prayer warriors for praise singers. And I'm not knocking the praise singing. You know I love music. I like to sing. Not very good at it, but I enjoy doing it. But we've substituted things. 
And we can't understand why we're not still getting the same response that we used to get. We don't understand why church is different now than it used to be. It used to be, Brother Morgan and I were talking about it a while ago, it used to be that we got to the prayer room. When I was a boy growing up in the church, we got to the prayer room 30 minutes to an hour before service started. And and my mother set us in that prayer room and prayed until heaven visited our particular area of that prayer room. And when we went into the sanctuary, there wasn't any of this going to sing for 45 minutes and build up to and convince all of us to get into it. The Lord asked me a question the other day. He said, what did I do after I troubled the water? Once a year, I troubled the water. What did I do next? Lord, you've caught me at a loss. He said, nothing. He didn't do anything. His job was to trouble the water. It was their job to get in it. We look at every church service like, well, it's just another in a long series. There'll be another service. There's 15,000 before this one. There'll be 100,000 after this. What we don't realize is that in every service, there is a divine purpose from God for this meeting. The Lord the other day said some things to me that just really have blessed me. He took me to the verse of scripture. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. And the Lord said, boy, you love preaching that one. And you love shouting to folks about that. But he said, that's, that's what I'll do if you do it. But there's an unseen side of that scripture. There's the silent side of that scripture. If you don't, I won't. And you have no right to expect me to do it for you if you don't do what I told you to do. If you're not going to humble yourself, if you're not going to pray, if you're not going to turn, if you leave one of those steps out, you have no right to expect me to heal your land or hear from heaven for you. A friend of mine told me, he said, I preached and when I got through He said, I left my pulpit and I was vexed because there were two-thirds of the people sitting in that sanctuary that day didn't make one move toward the altar. People that I knew, because I'm their pastor, I knew they needed that word. I knew that if they would respond to that word, God was going to change things for them. He said, but I was amazed at how stoic they sat through the entirety of my preaching. And when I got through, there were a handful that made a move toward the altar. And when he began to tell me what he had preached, I was vexed. I regretted not having been able to be there. And I told my wife, had I been there, me, you, and those kids would have got up while he was preaching that and gone to the altar. Because the water was troubled right that moment. And whatever it was God was going to do right then, the only way, anybody was going to get it was to get in the water right then it's not going to be one of those things and i'm going to tell you the media situation has been a blessing but it's also been a curse there was a day you didn't know if you was ever going to get to hear that again you might get a little cassette but it may not have anything on it and it may have been recorded so low you couldn't hear it anyway 
And we knew when I was coming up in the church, we knew if you want what God's doing, you better get in it while he's up to it. And we didn't let, there wasn't none of this get home early stuff. I don't know where we've gotten this from that we can tell you, uh, I'm sorry. But we're going to talk about start at 7 on Wednesday night and get out at 8.15. Have you lost your mind? Have you stopped lately to consider how long eternity's going to be? But we don't talk about eternity enough. They used to preach about hell every single service. You could count on they were going to talk about hell, they were going to talk about heaven, and they were going to talk about the rapture. And because we lived with an abiding awareness that there is a hell to shun, and that used to be a popular phrase, there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, then we realized we never were able to separate ourselves from what we were doing here. I'm trying to get to one place and avoid another. And take as many people with me as I possibly can. Years ago, Brother Ewing preached a message entitled, Decisions That I Made That I Did Not Know I Made. And the decision that I might make tonight to sit on a pew and not get involved, not lift my hands, not worship God, not do anything, is going to affect my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren. The sins of the fathers are visited to the third and the fourth generation. Abraham paid tithes unto Melchizedek and his children were blessed to the third and fourth generation while they were yet in the womb. You're not here just for you. You may not live to see your great-grandchildren. But what you do tonight is going to affect the decisions they're going to make somewhere down the road. We're not here just for us. I got two babies. I want to love God with everything in them. But the only chance they've got of doing that is to watch me and their mama do it in front of them. The enemy is coming for those two girls. And in my situation, because they're both adopted, God plucked them out of negative circumstances and trusted them to us. Do you think I'm going to let one day of the week slide by without covering them with the word, the blood, and the name? No, I'm desperate for them to know him. I'm desperate for them not to be lost. I don't really feel good tonight, but it's not an option. I got kids that need to be saved. I got grandkids that are coming one day and great-grandkids. And if I want them to have an opportunity and a chance to make it, I got to make some decisions when I don't feel like doing it and do it anyway. Hell can't stop what God's doing. But you and I can prevent it. Somewhere we've gotten to the point that we are so casual in our approach to him that we think, Sister Breckenridge, a casual cry to God can produce the same thing that a desperate cry to God can. 
And I'm telling you, you will never get from God with a casual approach what you can get from God with a desperate approach. And if God gives us what our elders before us have had, he'll have to apologize to them for just giving something to us that they had to bleed and sweat and die for. A Canaanite woman came crying. I believe it's the amplified version talks about how it was it was that the King James dresses it up a little bit and says something like cried unto the Lord. But when you look at the amplified version, it breaks it on down a little bit more and lets you realize that, that her, her beseeching of God was probably uncomfortable for the people around her to hear. And we've become so delicate in our worship and we've become so delicate in our pursuit of God. It's not just about the worship and it's not just about praise. It's about pursuit. We can, we can dance and sing and choreograph it, and, but you cannot choreograph and structure and perform a desperate, empty pursuit of God. When we get so desperate for Him, it doesn't matter. I, I long for the days. I, I miss the days when I saw people in our altars all over the country. And, and they didn't care that there was snot stringing from their nose to the carpet. And we didn't care. And I don't think even right now, Brother Whaley, that it's the lost that care. It's us that cares. We don't want our church to look desperate. We don't want our church to look just crazy. But I'm going to tell you something. This sanctuary will look a lot different than we think it will. Five minutes after Jesus comes. There'll be a level of travail in there that, that we have not heard ever in the history of this great church. Why wait? There are obstacles, I know. There are things that we have to deal with and contend with and fight our way past. But somewhere along the way, our conduct has got to communicate how desperate we are. It can't just be that we come in here and we were singing that song a while ago, waiting patiently on him or whatever. If I was you, I'd change the words to that. Beautiful song, just but there's one, one line in there that ought to be changed. Why are we patiently waiting on him? Why are we willing to just sit here and la-di-da, oh, one day, Lord, don't worry, I'll be here when you get here. No, uh-uh. That Canaanite woman in the 15th chapter of Matthew wasn't waiting patiently on nobody. She knew who she was. She knew she didn't have a right to him. She knew that he would consider her a dog. She knew culturally what he was going to think of her before she ever began to pursue him. But she also knew the world I've been living in and the circumstances that I'm living in are unbearable for me. And I'm willing to go against the tide of my culture, against the tide of his culture. I know he's going to think I'm a dog. She knew that based on their conversation and their interaction with one another. She knew. Because he says to her, you're, you're nothing but a dog to me. How is it that a dog can come and ask of the master's table? Was he not wanting to do for her? Yes, he was wanting to do for her. Yes, he wanted to do it, and yes, he was going to do it. 
based on her level of determination to get it from him. You understand what I'm telling you? There is a place of being desperate where God no longer is able to check what goes out of him. He turns to the disciples and he said, hey, who touched me? God, don't you know that there's people everywhere around you? How can you ask who touched you? Everybody, no. Somebody touched me differently than anybody else here did. How can you say that? How do you know that? Because virtue went out of me and went into somebody. I don't want a touch from God that doesn't get his attention. And when he finds out who it was, he took ownership of her. Up until that point, she belonged nowhere. But when he realized you were the one that touched me, he said, daughter, he took ownership of her. You're mine. And then he said, your faith, not me, not my power, not my anointing, your faith has brought about um, a making whole, not just of you, but your household. Do you understand what I'm telling you? It's not just about you. It's not just about me. I don't get on plane after plane. The man of God don't get on. Neither one of us like to fly. Look at us. Big people are not comfortable on airplanes. Do you know why we keep doing it? He's got four kids depending on him to say yes to Jesus. I got two so far depending on their daddy to say yes every time God calls. And if I do it, and if he does it, and if you do it, you're going to set something in motion in the spirit world that hell can't stop. Why do you think the enemy fights you so hard? Why do you think you don't get tired until you walk in the building? He'll lie to you. The enemy lied to you. Oh, it's just the peace of God. No. You're under spiritual attack. You weren't tired before you got in here. But we have despiritualized this thing. And we made it all carnal. Angels have been hovering in this place and have descended a few times. Oh, but God wants to do so much more. He wants to heal brokenness that nobody even knows you have. He wants to deliver people from things that nobody even knows you're bound by. He wants to stir gifts up in you that have been dormant for a long time. He wants to heal marriages. He wants to heal families. But let me tell you this. There's also some of you sitting in here, and I, I, there's a part of me I want to just come tap you on the shoulder and say, you're one of them, and you're one of them, and you're one of them. That he's not going to do one thing for. Because you're not going to get in the water. I can tell you right now, just as sure as these lights are on in this sanctuary, you are not going to make a move to get in the water. And I'm not talking to you beyond this point. I've said all I'm going to say to you. Those of you that want what God has, those of you that are aware in your spirit that the waters have been troubled in the sanctuary and still yet are, I'm going to give the mic to Brother Morgan in a minute and he's going to fix all of this. But the waters are currently troubled. I'm glad, hold on, hold on. Chester, come here. I, I'm glad you stood up. We're going to pray for you too. Get up. I don't know. I don't know. But I had a burden for you the last time I was here. And when I looked up and saw you tonight, 
it hit me right in the chest again. Do y'all know what that's about? She said yes. And the fact that you're clueless is part of the problem. Take her by the hand. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, for years we've looked at this man and we've looked to this man for a key to service after service after service. Lord, you have given him such passion and worship. Lord, we're not going to let that fire go out. We're not going to let it die. Generations are still yet depending on him. Lord, you know the struggles going on in her own mind. You alone know what they are. But Lord, right now, I speak wholeness and wellness over her now from her mind into every corner of her mind and her spirit and her emotions. Heal her in Jesus' name. Yeah. The waters are troubled. The waters are troubled. If you need something right now is the time you need to be on your way to this altar. Somebody's going to pray for you, no doubt about it. But when you get here, you need to throw both of your hands as high in the air as you can get them. And cry unto God passionately and desperately. Don't try to be pretty about it. Be desperate about it. Jesus, I cannot survive one more day without you. I can't go one more moment without you. Yeah, come on. Jesus. 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 I need you. I need you. I need you. I'm not going to let you pass me by this time. Yes. 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 Jesus. It's got to be over. 
I want to say something uh, now that I'm done. <clears throat> in in recent times that I've been here and preached, and then this morning what Brother Morgan was ministering to us and what no doubt Pastor and Bishop have and the other men of God have been saying to us about our conduct and our behavior and all of these things. I think for my part of it, let me say this for my part of what I've said to you tonight. It is not, the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I am, I am not as much talking to you about your flesh. I thought I was involved in a drive-by there. I'm not talking to you as much about your flesh and blood in and of itself other than it reflecting what's going on in the spirit. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against power, principalities. And the adversary has a design for the church just as well as Jesus does. And what Jesus wants to do with us, the adversary fully intends to do the exact opposite. If Jesus wants us to be an apostolic stronghold, the enemy is going to try to get us to become um, nothing more than just a good Christian church. And he sends seducing spirits among us, and they come uh, without being offensive. They, they ease in among us in such a way that we learn to uh, cohabitate with the adversary. We don't realize that there is a spirit of lethargy or complacency that's crept in among us. And it's not just here, it's, it's all over the, it's every church I've been in. Am I right, Brother Morgan? Have you been in one that's not fighting the same thing? And, and I think the struggle is at a different level in different churches and everybody's doing it. Uh, but I think, I think it's safe for me to say every church that I've been in is dealing with the same spirit. It's the spirit of our age. And, and he said it this morning with the stool out here and, sitting around like whatever, and, uh, and, and oh my God, we, we, it, but that spirit has crept in among us. And somehow or another, that's the new deal. Uh, this is how others are doing it. And, and you can call me a radical if you want to. You can, you can, and I'm not trying to take your time, man of God, but just, you, you can say, well, Brother Shelton, a few months ago, uh, I woke up, about a couple months ago, I woke up early, and I'll hasten through this, but it was like I was asking myself questions. Is it really necessary to pray this much? Is it really necessary to have intercessory prayer warriors and travailers? Is it really necessary to do this? And is, is holiness really necessary? And have we gone too far with this? And finally, at the end of all of this, it wasn't like I was trying to find a way out. It was like I was reaffirming, Brother Fowler, to myself why I believe what I believe. And at the end of it, the Lord spoke to me and he said, do you like the way your wife looks? I said, yes. Do you like her godliness? Yes. Do you like her mannerisms? Yes. Do you like the way she talks? Yes. Do you like the way her conversation is clean and godly? Yes. And he went through this litany of things. Then he came back around. He said, now, suppose you came in from a trip and you walk in your house and a host of your friends were sitting in the house visiting with your family. And you hear her voice, but you cannot find her. And you start asking, where is my wife? And your friends say, well, she's sitting right there. 
And you look at this woman that you, you know the sound coming out of her, the sound of her voice is in fact your wife. But nothing about her looks like it did when you left. He said, how would you feel if they convinced her, you don't have to look this way. You don't have to dress this way. You don't have to talk this way. You don't have to be kind to your husband. He said, how would you feel if you tried to talk to her and, and, and you're trying to have a, a conversation with her and your friends tell her, you don't have to spend that much time with him. Just, just text him. It'll be enough. How would you feel about your friends? I said, I would beat them to death and throw them out my front door. He said, how do you think I feel about what people have been doing to my bride? I never gave you permission to tell my bride she shouldn't worship like this. I never gave you permission to tell my bride that she shouldn't be on her feet and praising me at every opportunity. I never told you to tell my bride she didn't have to pray this much. I never told you to tell my bride intercession and travailing prayer was no longer necessary. I never told you to tell her spending copious amounts of time in the book I wrote was not, was, was okay to do without anymore. I never gave you permission to do that to her. And he said, I look at my bride now and in some cases I don't even recognize her. I hear her voice and I know it must be her. But I do not recognize her based on the relationship between me and her. She don't look like she used to. Her conduct is not what it used to be. Her conversation to me is not what it used to be. He said, if you would throw your friends out of your house, what do you think I'm fixing to do to the people in my house? And I'm not talking about just preachers. I'm talking about saints. Saints that sit beside new babies and tell them radical behavior is not necessary. Well, I've never said that. Have you sat through a church service knowing there's new converts in the joint? And you ain't got up yet and broke it loose and danced one time? By sitting stoically through a church service, we're telling that new convert, here is the acceptable way to behave in the house of God. Well, Brother Shelton, I'm beyond that. Then you beyond being saved too, because there's no way in this wide world that my attitude and conduct at the end of my walk should be any different than it was at the beginning, except to be more vibrant than it was in the beginning. My attitude and conduct toward my wife when I first met her don't look anything like it looks now after these many years of marriage. I treat her more intimately now than I ever did then. She can get more from me now than she ever could in the beginning. And it's not okay for us not to behave the way we should. It's for a man that knoweth to do right, good, and doeth it not, to him it's what? Or Brother Shelton, I don't feel like it. Jesus do not care how you feel. If how you feel was significant, he would have never hung on that cross. Do we have any right to say, I'm going to exclude myself from correct behavior tonight? No. Because he who could have called a legion of angels from heaven to pull him down off of that cross and kill everybody there 
didn't do it. And the decision he made that day gave us the right and the opportunity to make the decision we need to make now. And I'm going to tell you something that's probably going to make somebody mad, somebody scared, and somebody happy. Jesus is through trying to convince us. Jesus, somebody back there right now does not know that it's not time to be getting baptized. I mean, for God's sake, don't they know you're supposed to wait till church is over? And what I can't understand is why we sitting in here who know, well, Brother Shelton, you're talking, we don't in, look, just tear it up. I'll wait. Yeah, everybody just turn around and look back there and see what Jesus is trying his best to do in this building right now. Come on. Act the way you ought to be acting. Act how you would act if that was your daughter, your brother, your baby, your husband. Oh, come on, somebody. You, you, you feel what I'm telling you, don't you? Go ahead. You, you starting to pick up on it now. Yeah, there it is. It's on the screen. See it? Check it out. Check it out. Somebody being baptized. Yeah. Why are you dancing? You don't even know who that is. No, but one day it's going to be somebody in my family. One day it's going to be my baby in that baptistry. One day it's going to be my husband in that baptistry. One day it's going to be my neighbor in that bed. One day. One day we're going to leave 500 behind and move on to 1,000. Five hundred isn't all God's got for us. I've said this to you before, and I'm really trying to hasten on. Where'd the man of God go? There. But this this generation is writing and singing songs about what they're looking for. Listen to some of the new stuff coming out. What would happen if we, the church, would sing our song back to them? We don't want blessings, we just want you. We got a song to sing back to that. It's all in Him. Well, those are old songs. They brought us to this point, baby. They'll get us from here over. The mighty God is Jesus, and it's all in Him. Generations before us wrote and sang songs about what they had found. 
G.T. Haywood wrote it. I've said it before. I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary. If we would start singing back to the world, we know what you're looking for. There's a bloodline. If you'll cross it and get in it, you'll find everything you've ever wanted in God. I told you one time, I'm sure... And I'm almost done. Stay where you're at. I, I was preaching at a church in Texas and the Lord spoke to me and he said, the pastor told me that morning, he said, you got to help us. We've got to have a breakthrough. We haven't, we haven't seen anybody. Well, I don't know when the last time was someone received the Holy Ghost here. I cannot remember. And uh, as I started preaching that morning, the Lord said, there are five people here that have never received the Holy Ghost that will receive it today if this church will demonstrate what they've been telling them. And it dawned on me. I hadn't heard anybody speak in tongues in the month I'd been preaching there. Well, that morning there was an old woman sitting up on the front row. I hadn't seen her there. Come to find out it was her first Sunday back after months of having had a stroke and been in rehab and whatever. And uh, I told the church what the Lord told me. I said, I'm going to hold on to this microphone. And the pastor and nobody else is getting this one or another one. Nobody is saying another word to you until you start acting like what we've been preaching about. We say that there is a Holy Ghost infilling, but we haven't demonstrated it. And there are five people, the Lord said, in this room right now that want to receive the Holy Ghost but don't know anything about it and have felt it a few times in this service, but nobody else is doing it, so they feel like they're sticking out like a sore thumb. So until somebody starts praying in tongues in this sanctuary, nobody else is going to speak to you again. And I sat down on the altar, and that old woman sat there, and big old tears started down her face. She grabbed her walker and finally got pulled up on her feet, and the Holy Ghost hit her, and she popped, and it started flowing out. We'll come to find out she and her husband were old pioneers, and they had started churches all over southwest Texas, and she was an apostolic from from start to finish. And when that word came out, and she began to respond to it and speak in tongues, I kid you not, It was like a shockwave went through that building, through all three sections of pews. And in about 12 minutes, five brand new people, nobody had to touch them. Nobody had to rock them around in the altar. Five brand new people began to speak in tongues for the very first time because there was an atmosphere generated and created where the creator could do what he only could do. We're not just in this as a flesh and blood issue. There are demonic spirits working against the church at all times. And in this generation that we live in now, the world is, we, we talk, the only ones that are desensitized to spiritual matters is us. The world, there are more vampire movies and witchcraft movies being made right now than ever before in the history of cinematography. Why are they making all those movies? And we can look at it and say, well, my God, that's just how the world's going to hell. Yes, they are. And we're doing nothing about it. And we see movies like that being advertised and we think, my God, I'm just so thankful that we've got the truth. Yeah, you ought to be thankful for it. But what you need to do is realize that the world is crying out, will somebody show me that there's more to this than just getting up and working a nine to five job? I need Jesus. I need somebody to show me where what I'm looking for can be found. So my challenge to Antioch again is 
Don't come in here Thursday night and sit where you're sitting right now. Some of us have sat in that spot so long that the indentation in the padding on that chair is able to be defined and clearly known by just looking at your posterior. When you walk off, we know, oh yeah, he sits right there. We've gotten in a rut. Hello? Hello? We've gotten in a rut. We come and we sit in the same place and we expect the same thing. He said it this morning, the kingdom suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. At some point in time, we've got to individually get so desperate to the point that we make our mind up. You know what? We used to sing this old song, you can sit on the pew if you want to. But I'm going to praise the Lord. We sang junk that made you get up out of the bench and out of the pew and out of the chair. And you couldn't sing that and not do that. Huh? They used to have victory marches, but we got to the point we thought, my God, we so far along and progressed that that's corny. We, why would anybody? But I'm starting to understand why them old saints had a victory march. Everybody got up and got involved in the victory march. Why? We were breaking out of just sitting by and letting one more move of God slip past us. So my challenge, and I'm hastening along, I'm done. My challenge to you is don't, don't come in here one more time, one more church service, and plan to sit where you sat the last church service. Yeah, but I'm just comfortable over there. And that's exactly the problem, isn't it? Our comfort zones are basically areas of our life that we can control. And that's why it's comfortable. Give it up. Sit somewhere that's not, I know what I'm feeling right now. And I'm not upset at you, but that spirit that I'm addressing, I'm going to keep talking about it until I feel it crack. And you can leave if you want to. I'll stay here when they turn the lights off and keep, I'm going to talk about it until I break through something in just a second. It is a spiritual resistance. I'm not upset at you. I'm not offended at you, but you have got to become desperate that you, to the point that you realize, you know what? It really is the adversary trying to keep me down. It really is. It's not me being tired. It's not me being this. It's not just what I've been going through. It's a devil trying to keep me from breaking through to the victory that God has for me. There's a devil trying to keep me from getting what God has for me. There's a devil trying to keep my family from having a breakthrough. There's a devil trying to keep my health broken and to keep my health in a mess. My brother back there dancing right now. He's going to have a breakthrough before it's over with. He's he been dancing out in the hall all night long. Brother Shelton, y'all are always trying to get us to dance. Guess what, baby? Hell's trying to get you not to. And up to this point, you've been going with his plan. You better believe I'm trying to get you off of that pew. I'm trying to get you out of an early grave. I'm trying to get you out of bondage. I'm trying to get you out of depression. Come on, somebody, you know you want it. You know you want what God has for you. You know you're sick and tired of coming to church and going home disappointed.
Now I'm going to say something. Am I all right? I'm trying to hasten along. Now I'm going to say, because I, I went and sat down and gave you two time to get this microphone. There, one of you got up. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this, and I don't know. I'm, I'm submitted. But there are people in this sanctuary that have fussed and griped and complained to me about how unhappy you are with some things in your walk with God. And I ain't seen the first one of you get out of your pew and get down here and act any different than you have. And so here's the deal. If you're not going to change your attitude, lose my phone number. Don't call me again. Don't drag me down after church and gripe and complain. I don't care. If you don't want to feel better, sit there. But if you want something, get out of your pew for God's sake and do something. Yeah, you know who you are. You better get out of your pew. Oh, don't let Brother Lowenheim run by himself. Yeah, come on. Come on, we're, we're dealing with a devil that's been trying to choke you down and choke you out and choke this church down, but we're not going to put up with it anymore. I do feel a little break coming in the spirit. If we'll push a little further, we'll have something in a minute. Yeah, come on. Come on, somebody. Brother Shelton, do you know what time it is? No, and you shouldn't either. somebody you ought to be sick and tired of the way the adversary has made you feel you ought to be sick and tired of being lied to by every devil that comes by your neighborhood you ought to be sick and tired of having to worship with a devil beside you every time you come to church you need to have that same attitude and tell the person beside you you can sit on the pew if you want to but I am going to praise him you can sit on that pew and be bored to death if you want to but I'm going to get what I came for hey oh hey hold on I'm going to give this back to Brother Shout in a second and I'm not the boss here, and the bishop and the pastor are probably watching, and if I'm wrong, I'm sure my phone will blow up. But for too long, we've let kids run around here. And I'm not saying anything wrong about kids. But for too long, we let kids run around here while the adults watched. But I'm telling you, we need a new policy. If your child runs, you better be running right next to them. 
because the Bible says he teaches my hands to war. Parents, if your child's running, you better get out of your pew and run along with them. But if you run and they run and you don't, they need to sit down because they're not going to get it. But if they run, you need to grab them by the hand and say, listen, you're going to run. Mommy and daddy going to run right with you. church and we've had people come through all the time and tell us how great we are we've gotten a little egotistical and we think just because we talk in tongues more than everybody else we've seen more angels more than everybody else we don't need correcting and we've had men of God come along and say it's going to happen it's going to happen and we just think because we're so spiritual God's going to grace us just because we pray more than everybody else what was preached this morning I know all of you weren't here but you you need to go back and watch it what was preached this morning what's been said tonight is what God's trying to do to do what he's promised he would do and in no way am I trying to go back I know we've been told don't go back but if you look about the greatness of this church when everything was happening was because of the radicalness of what was going on here. And too many of us, I feel the Holy Ghost just crawling up on me. Too many of us have reaped the benefit from what they sown and we've never sown anything into our field. But we've been reaping the benefit from everything they do. But honey, get your plow out, get your seed out, and why don't you reap some of your own? Do you know why we've got to have a man of God? you know why we have to have men of God come in here and correct us? Because we don't have ownership of this because we haven't invested anything in this. But you got a brother bishop and sister bishop over there. They don't have to be told what to do because for 40 years they've sown and 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 they've sown until it's becoming that they're not the only ones there's all over this place. But why don't you just set a sit back say it belongs to me. This is not Antioch's revival. It's my revival. This is not Antioch's harvest. This is my harvest. Because as long as it's, as it's Antioch's harvest and Antioch's revival, then you can point your finger at the pulpit because they're not doing their job. But when it's my revival and my harvest, then I have to take ownership. Right now, Brother Shelton said it, we're right there, but right now, we're going to pray one more time. 
We're going to get a hold of this thing more in time until we break through this attitude once and for all. That that number won't have to be put up on the screen because it will be so irrelevant. We'll have to erase it because we won't be able to keep up with whatever number's next. But that's not going to happen until we humble ourselves, seek his face, and turn away from some of the ways we've been doing things around here for year after year. Where are my 80s people at? You should be saying the biggest amens because you know what I'm saying is true. So right now, grab a hold of somebody by the hand. I know there's sickness around, but there's almost Holy Ghost in here. Ain't no sickness going to get on you. Grab somebody by the hand. We're going to pray until we break this thing. We're not just speaking in tongues because that's what we do, but we're going to pray until we break this thing. And when we break it, we're going to go forward. But grab somebody by the hand and begin to bind with them. Open up your mouth. Begin to let the Holy Ghost flow out of you in the name of Jesus. We take authority over every spirit of complacency. We take authority over every spirit of apathy. We take authority over a spirit of doubt. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Get out. Rise up, faith of Antioch. 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 You lion spirit, you lion spirit of deception, you lion false spirit of accusation. I speak to you now in the name of Jesus. I say get out of this place. Set Antioch free. Set the minds of Antioch free. Set the hearts of Antioch free. Set the faith of Antioch free. to the fields of the north I say to the fields of the west I say to the fields of the south I say to the fields of the east give up your fruit give up your fruit give up your fruit give up your fruit Shay in lo mukuta, itale isa, 
My God, I wish somebody would just forget where you're at for 30 seconds and just stomp on the devil's head and let him know you need what you're saying. Of you, but that's okay. We poo-poo sometimes 
praise breaks because we say that's just emotion. Well, you know what? Excuse me for the rest of us, but we're going to have a moment of emotion. Get a hold of that person you just pray with. Grab them by the hand. And you say, listen, look them in the eye say, for the next 60 seconds, me and you are about to have a praise break. And we're going to praise our way right out of this. Grab them by the hand say, are you ready? If they say they're not ready, grab somebody else. Are you saying you're ready? Say praise with me for about 60 seconds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen.
Hallelujah. 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 Now one more time, put your hands together, lift up your voice and give a shout of victory like you believe it. this because this is going to be the shortest time I'll ever be in a pulpit don't, don't sit down honestly we're going to close um, the 107th Psalms is perhaps one of my most favorite I don't want anywhere near this mic I'm afraid of all the cold and the yucky stuff oh give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, gathered them out of the lands, and from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. They wandered about in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distress. If you look at the 107th chapter of Psalms, or David's writings, often in that 107th chapter, he makes the statement, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, or for His wonderful works. I want you to sandwich that statement, that, <clears throat> that principle in <clears throat> what I'm about to tell you. <clears throat> also, in the 22nd verse, <clears throat> verse 23, I'm sorry, they that go down to the sea. <clears throat> they that go down to the sea. Mm. In ships that do business in great waters. These see the wonders. We just kind of read it with me. These see the works of the Lord. And his wonders. For he commandeth. And riseth the stormy wind. Which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro. Stagger like a drunken man. Order at their wit's end. Then. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them into their desired haven. There's a lot about the sea that I do not understand. I am a scuba diver. I like the depths. I like the ocean. But there's something fascinating about sailing. I'm almost done. It's fascinating. But in this scripture text, it says that there would be a special people that would have a certain desire to leave the known and go into the deep places and see things that nobody else was ever going to see. 
Because if you're content to stay where everybody else stays, you're never going to see what God can do in the deep places. You know what God's doing around Antioch right now? Deep's calling the deep. And He's breaking layer by layer the comfort zone so that you're not ever going to want to go back to land. This revival, this moment, not services, but revival, this reviving, this heart changing, this spiritual organization, this season of time is God ordained. It really is. It's God ordained. It's, it's not me. It's God. It's not any one person. It's God. God. God's got this church right where he wants this church. He really does. But there's a choice that we're going to have to make, and I think we made it tonight. I'm just not happy standing on the banks of an ocean wondering what's out there. There's something about the horizon that's calling me. There's something about the world of the unknown, the supernatural at its best, the angelic at its greatest. I'm just not happy standing on the boardwalk watching ships sell out. I have a desire. I have a desire. You hear me. I'm going to be part of the last hour revival. Where the dead are going to walk. Oh yeah. Blinded eyes are going to be opened. The deaf are going to hear. Crippled are going to be healed. The oppressed are going to be delivered. There's going to be a revival in the end time that I'm part of. Because that's my desire. And if I have to leave the unknown to travel into the world. Anybody feel that? Anybody feel that deep call in the deep saying it's here? It's here right now. Come on. Join in. Don't look back. Don't go back. Don't ever want to go back. They that desire to see. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for what you have done here tonight. Only you can orchestrate and organize and do what's been done here. We give you great things. We praise you for your wonderful great works. We are saved by you. We are kept by your word. We have worshipped you and exalted you here tonight. You talk directly to our spirits and hearts. You helped us here tonight. And for that we will be eternally grateful. I pray your blessings upon this congregation. I pray your blessings on every man and woman, boy and girl here tonight, Jesus. I rebuke, I rebuke the devourer. I rebuke the destroyer. I take dominion of your spirit right now. Loose, loose heaven's bounty. Loose heaven's best upon this congregation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Clap your hands and shout unto the Lord. Amen, amen. I would say shake somebody's hand. You might want to fist bump, elbow bump, air hug. But God bless you. Make sure you greet somebody on your way out. Let's take this with us. Don't let us stay here, but let it go with you. God bless you. You're dismissed. Jesus' name.